Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Three, two, one. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you enjoyed the Super Bowl and I hope you won some money. We'll break everything down here momentarily, but right off the top, I want to start here. We got to dive into Stafford and Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Uh, Eli Apple getting roasted and toasted and everything else. But I want to start right here. Over 100 million people watched the Super Bowl on Sunday. All of those 100 million plus people who watched saw when they showed all the crowd shots, but particularly Ben Affleck and J-Lo, Charlize Theron, LeBron James, Jay-Z, all of the celebrities that they flashed on the screen, including, if you want to make him a celebrity, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, refused to follow the requirement that everybody who went to the Super Bowl needed to wear a mask. Okay? Let me repeat that. All of those celebrities and virtually every person in that 70,000-plus stadium violated Los Angeles County's mask mandate. Over 100 million people watched a completely normal Super Bowl and all of the state of California and many of you out there who are parents listening to me or watching me right now, maybe some of you, the kids who are in school yourselves, you had to wear masks to school on Monday in much of the country. That is an outrage. That is an absurdity. Everywhere out there is starting to end their mask mandates, but they're doing it in reverse order. For instance, Washington, D.C. has announced that vaccine passports are over and that the indoor mask mandate will be soon too. Yet they are still requiring kids to wear masks in school. If we are going to open bars and restaurants and gyms and movie theaters 100% back to normalcy for adults, why in the world are kids still being required to wear masks when one, we know masks don't work, but two, if you are concerned about health, kids have the less, the least risk from COVID of anybody on a statistical measure. Instead of starting by lifting mask and vaccine requirements on bars, restaurants, gyms, and uh, movie theaters, among others, why would we not start with schools and work towards those other places since kids are under the least risk? I am outraged, honestly, that kids continue to have to wear masks in this country. If you saw the viral video go out from Las Vegas of the kids when they are told in their elementary school classroom that they no longer have to wear masks. We've been making kids in many parts of this country wear masks for two years now. 
The number of kids with speech issues is up 300% in this country because watching the way mouths move and the way words are articulated is wildly important for learning how to speak yourself and certainly for learning how to speak a foreign language. So as we watch an event like the Super Bowl, to me, when 100 million people are watching, 70,000 plus, mostly rich and many famous people deciding that they are not in any way going to wear a mask, why in the world are masks being required anywhere? And I have to tell you, I was in LA for a week. I flew out there on Sunday. I flew back on Saturday night, right before. I watched the Super Bowl from my couch. I always like to watch the Super Bowl from home. People say, why do you leave before you go to the Super Bowl? Because I'd rather talk about the Super Bowl like 100 million people watch it than I would watch it in person with 70-some-odd thousand people unless, unless and until one day the Titans are in the Super Bowl or my beloved city of Nashville, my hometown, hosts the Super Bowl, which I'll get to in a minute here. But I have to say it is shameful It is inexcusable, it is indefensible that any kid in America today was wearing a mask. There's no science to support it. It is a child abuse, a form of child abuse in my mind for kids to be required to wear masks right now. Okay, so that's my big picture takeaway outside of the world of sports. What's the takeaway from the Super Bowl itself? First, Sean McVay did what was necessary to go get the guy who could win him a Super Bowl. Got there before with Jared Goff, only put up three points, knew that Goff's limitations would keep him from winning a Super Bowl even though he had a wildly talented team surrounding the quarterback position. Goff was good, not good enough to win a championship with. You go get Matthew Stafford, never won a game in 11 years with the Detroit Lions. He rolls into the Super Bowl wins three straight playoff games, now a fourth straight postseason game. And I believe now Matthew Stafford cemented his legacy, will be an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. Thrown for almost 50,000 yards, will play another three or four years at least, certainly will add, assuming he stays healthy, over 10,000 more yards going forward. Signature win for 36-year-old Sean McVay. Very much a signature win for 34-year-old Matthew Stafford as well. Both of them cementing their long-term legacies and Stafford in particular, I think, cementing the fact that he will become an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, if I'm a Detroit Lions fan sitting around today, I am saying, my goodness, how bad is our overall organization? Because most NFL teams, and I'm a fan of an NFL team, the Titans, Most NFL fan bases sit around and say, if we had a Hall of Fame winning quarterback caliber on this team, we could win playoff games and we could go to the Hall, and and we could go to the Super Bowl, right? Detroit Lions had that. Detroit Lions had that and they couldn't even win one playoff game. This organization, I believe, is the most dysfunctional of the Detroit Lions in all of professional sports. They have won one playoff game since the 1950s. If I am a Lions fan right now, I'm arguing it's time to demand new ownership because the Ford family cannot get it done top to bottom. They are 
an unmitigated disaster. And Matthew Stafford leaving, having never won a playoff game, immediately winning four straight, including the Super Bowl, and cementing himself as a Hall of Fame level quarterback. I don't even know what you say if you're a Lions fan because you had a Hall of Fame quarterback and far from winning a play, winning a Super Bowl, you couldn't even win a, uh, you couldn't even win a playoff game. And as my wife said, and I kind of pay attention to the Lions a little bit because my wife is from Detroit. As my wife said, uh, watching the Super Bowl last night, with Eminem performing at halftime and with Matthew Stafford winning the Super Bowl, that is as close as Detroit is ever going to come to being able to be in the Super Bowl with the Lions. Now, the city of Detroit hosted the Super Bowl several years ago, but just FYI. So Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay are the two biggest winners. Odell Beckham Jr. is a monster winner, even though it appears he tore his ACL. Uh, Because the argument against Odell has been that he's a malcontent, that he's not a team guy, that he can never find a way to win. Remember, Odell Beckham Jr. had never won a playoff game. In fact, the only playoff game that he had ever played in personally was the uh, yacht game. Remember when he traveled down to Miami and all the receivers got their picture taken on the yacht uh, the week of the playoff game on their day off and then they went back and then they got whipped. That was with Eli and the Giants. So the next year uh, that his team was in the playoffs was last year and the Cleveland Browns went out and won in the playoffs against the Steelers without Odell Beckham. And so he comes back, the uh, the Browns fall apart, his dad has to put out a video of Baker Mayfield missing him on all the throws, and then he's dominant in the first half and appears to be on his way to potentially winning the MVP, certainly to making a major statement. Uh, And then he tears his ACL, potentially it's not official yet, but lots of reports that it appears he has torn his ACL And so that, in and of itself, still a big win for Odell, although I wonder whether there's going to be much demand for him coming off of this injury. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. How about Cooper Cup? I got a stat for you on Cooper Cup, who was the MVP. And by the way, I think it should have been Aaron Donald who was the MVP. Uh, But they vote right before the end of the game. I've got a stat for you that I was uh, that I was pretty impressed by. Cooper Cup won the receiving triple crown, uh, NFL Offensive Player of the Year, and a Super Bowl MVP this year. Uh, receiving triple crown, I believe, yards, catches, and touchdowns. He was the leader in yards, catches, and touchdowns. Uh, also was the Offensive Player of the Year in the NFL and the Super Bowl MVP. Jerry Rice is the only other wide receiver in NFL history to do all of those things in a career. This is according to Nick Wagner. That means there is a strong argument that based on yards, (coughs) based on catches, 
and based on touchdown. Combining that with Offensive Player of the Year and the Super Bowl MVP that Cooper Cup just posted the greatest wide receiving year in the history of the NFL. There's an argument. You can argue against it. But based on those five things all being accomplished in the same season, which only one other receiver has ever done before in his career in Jerry Rice, I don't know how you could argue against this potentially being the greatest year that any NFL wide receiver has ever had from the start of the year to the end. Just worth thinking about. Uh, Also, how about Eli Apple getting completely roasted by Cooper Cup? What was amazing was on that final drive, even without Odell Beckham Jr., even without Tyler Higbee, who were two of the biggest uh, targets for Matthew Stafford down the stretch, they went to Cooper Cup time after time after time, completely convinced in his ability to make plays. I know there's been a lot of talk about the officiating. To me, the officiating was a non-issue here. The Rams were the better team throughout the game. And if you want to talk about the single biggest blown call of the game, it wasn't calling offensive holding or offensive pass interference late. I think those were the right calls. It was the blown call on the 75-yard touchdown when Jalen Ramsey got his face mask grabbed and was completely thrown to the ground in the midst of that catch. That should have been offensive pass interference. That should have been a penalty to move them back and make it, I believe, first and 20 to, uh, to start that drive to begin the second half. That play gave the Rams, the, uh, gave the, the, the Bengals the lead and was then quickly followed up by an interception from Matthew Stafford on the next play which allowed a 10-point swing effectively. Who knows how that game would have played out. I feel as if the Rams would have likely dominated even more if Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't get injured and if the game had been officiated in that manner where you took that seven points off the board. I don't feel like the uh, Bengals were jobbed by the officiating. I also believe, also believe that ultimately... The Bengals were very fortunate to be where they are given the fact that they couldn't block for Joe Burrow. And the reason why I bet on Aaron Donald to be the MVP was because I expected that sooner or later the Rams would do what they did which is dominate against the Bengals' offensive line. And that's what we saw down the stretch run of this game. Remember, even if you disagreed with the calls that were made late, the 23-20 lead, the Rams had to kick the ball back to the Bengals. And Cincinnati and Burrow got the ball. They were at midfield with plenty of time remaining when they got stopped by the Rams' defense. Huge plays back-to-back by Aaron Donald. He then gets up and says, give me my ring effectively. To me, Aaron Donald should have been the MVP in this game. Uh, And uh, instead, Cooper Cup was, which again, I can see the argument for Cooper Cup. Uh, But to me, The biggest takeaway there is the failure that we saw going forward coming out of of the Bengals' offense by and large and their inability to actually block. That to me was by far the largest and most signature event uh, going forward in terms of this game. Joe Burrow, 
What do we think of Joe Burrow going forward from here? I think it is an incredibly intriguing question, right? 25-year-old Joe Burrow is beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, one of the most accomplished quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in this league, right? Uh, I would argue in the AFC, you have got Cooper Cup uh, as the best wide receiver right now in the NFC right now, right? But in the AFC, we have got a bunch of different interesting angles here from a quarterback position because you've got young quarterbacks. You've got Joe Burrow, you've got Patrick Mahomes, uh, you've got Justin Herbert, you have uh, Josh Allen, and you've got Lamar Jackson. Five guys, all 26 or under, going forward. Who is going to be the best of that bunch? I think Joe Burrow will find himself back in uh, the postseason, certainly many years. I'm not sure how many Super Bowls he's going to make, simply because it's so hard to make a Super Bowl and there are so many talented young quarterbacks in the AFC. So that's why this one stings if I'm a Bengals fan. Yes, you can go get better help on the offensive line. Yes, I think that Zach Taylor made the right decision in going out and getting Jamar Chase instead of taking Panay Sewell. But I still feel, by and large, like the grand scheme of things, there are going to be relatively few games where Joe Burrow has a chance to win a Super Bowl. It's hard to get to the Super Bowl. Cam Newton never got back. Matt Ryan, it doesn't seem like, is ever going to get back. We get spoiled by the Bradys and the Mahomeses and the Peyton Mannings of the world who make a lot of Super Bowls. Remember, Aaron Rodgers has only been to one Super Bowl in his career. Why do we think that he's suddenly going to be able to also get back to another one? I think it's going to be far more challenging than many people would recognize. I love Joe Burrow. He's already won the Heisman. He's already won, uh, been the number one overall draft pick, won a national championship at LSU. I think he will win a Super Bowl before his career is over. But I'm not sold with this idea, especially in the AFC North, where you've got uh, Lamar Jackson. The Steelers are a historic golden franchise with a great coach in Mike Tomlin, even after they have to replace Big Ben. And then you look overall at the mess that could be out there uh, surrounding the Browns. Maybe they end up with somebody good, maybe not. But I think the odds of Burrow winning the AFC North all the time and basically stamping it as his own division is more challenging than not. Halftime show. A lot of opinions out there on the halftime show. I loved it because I think the 1990s are the greatest decade in American history. This is the music I grew up on, right? Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, to a certain extent, um, uh, to a certain extent, uh, 50 Cent as well. Not so much Kendrick Lamar. I thought Mary J. Blige was far down the list in general in terms of her music being impactful. But I will say this. A lot of, and certainly Eminem, a lot of discussion about uh, the way that the show went. I thought it was great. But the Super Bowl is typically programmed for people of my age now. So uh, it used to be the music, you know, most of the artists are 10 or 20 years past their prime. Uh, and most of those artists also are past their prime, whether it's Dre, Snoop, or Eminem, who were the signature events. Some discussion about Eminem taking a knee. I didn't really care about that. Uh, first of all, I thought Eminem was taking a knee to pull himself away from being the attention and to honor the soundtrack that Dr. Dre played on his, uh, on his keyboard 
that basically was saying, hey, this is for, uh, this is for Snoop uh, as we got ready to make the transition to a new song. But it was in honor of Tupac. And I kind of hoped they were going to bring out the Tupac hologram. Didn't end up happening. California Love, the Snoop songs, the Dre songs, all of those iconic 50 Cent. 50 Cent looked like he was a buck 25 now. Um, not as svelte as he used to be. Can say that for a lot of us, right? Maybe not our best shape, certainly after uh, all the COVID mess over the last couple of years. A lot of people have packed on a few extra pounds. 50 has. If he got shot nine more times, uh, he's got better chance of survival even now than he did back then uh, because it certainly looked like he had some added poundage to help uh, to, uh, to, to withstand any gunshot wounds. Uh, he was not all muscle like he used to be. Um, all right, couple of other uh, couple of other things in general. But anyway, I liked the halftime show. Uh, didn't th- I thought Eminem whatever. Uh, I thought he was honoring Tupac more than he was taking a knee. But I don't really care about taking a knee uh, during a song, a rap song. It's super weird otherwise. And I think this infatuation with Colin Kaepernick is strange. I'm going to write soon about the difference between the way the media treats Colin Kaepernick, who made millions of dollars based on his decision uh, to repudiate the NFL and simultaneously the fact that by attacking America, by the way, and Colin Kaepernick and American institutions, and Enos Cantor attacks China and Chinese genocide, and he gets released from the Celtics, and there's almost no positive coverage of him whatsoever. So you're better off ripping America inside of America, and you get rewarded for it, than if you try and hold China accountable. What does that tell us about Chinese power and modern American society? Um, and, and speaking of that, Brian Flores has filed another lawsuit, which is absolutely ridiculous. He, sorry, has amended his lawsuit and added the Houston Texans as another defendant, now arguing uh, that they didn't hire him because of racial discrimination, but they hired Lovey Smith instead, who was also a black head coach. But that's not good enough for Brian Flores. He said that he was the obvious choice over Lovey Smith and that the only reason he didn't get hired was because he fired, filed the lawsuit. Well, why file the lawsuit? I agree with you. That's what I said, Brian Flores. I said instead of amending the complaint to also sue the Houston Texans, you should be amending your complaint to also fire your lawyers who gave you awful legal advice. There's absolutely no way to justify any of this from a legal perspective. And so it's embarrassing of Brian Flores. It's embarrassing for his lawyers. It is an embarrassment all around the way that this situation has uh, has uh, played out. Just awful, right? Um, Hillary, it appears, has spied on Trump. This is a big story. We are going to follow that uh, going forward to see what exactly comes out of it from the Durham investigation. But it's wild that this story is not being covered by the New York Times, by the Washington Post, by MSNBC, and by CNN. Based on the allegations that Durham has laid forth, this is the most significant potential uh, involving of the presidential campaign in illegal activity that I have seen since Watergate. And this, if it's proven, would be more significant than Watergate, and yet the mainstream media is by and large pretending that this story does not exist after hyping Russian collusion against Trump for five years. Now we have evidence that the Clinton campaign 
may have been colluding to try to create this Russia narrative out of whole cloth. And it's wild that the media is mostly pretending it did not exist and not covering it at all. Um, and so this story we are going to continue to cover. And Donald Trump Jr. was on the show in the second hour of the program, the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Let me thank you guys again uh, for all listening as, uh, as you did. It's such massive numbers for January. Biggest audience we've ever had. Nearly 12 million downloads of the show. Uh, and I encourage you guys to keep subscribing and keep downloading as well. All of that uh, working to continue to grow what is rapidly becoming one of the biggest shows out there in radio, if it's not already the biggest, and I think it is. If you combine our radio and podcast audience, uh, I believe it is the biggest show that is on daily radio plus podcast anywhere in the country. Uh, all right. I love all of you. I hope you won some money gambling. I will be on Fox Bet Live here in a little over an hour uh, for the final show of football season. We won't be back on Fox Bet Live until we get to March Madness time. We get a few, uh, about, what, a month off uh, until we come back for the NCAA tournament. I appreciate all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, congratulations to the LA Rams, to Sean McVay for doing what he needed to do to find a way to win a championship. This has been OutKick, the show. <laughs>